0: Welcome to The Partnership, the straight up business podcast where co-founders chat co-founders with co-founders. I'm Jennifer Bettmeyer. And I'm Melissa Duran connor We know what are you doing? Go ahead. <laughs> we know a thing or two about being business partners. We launched media relations agency Jennifer Beck Communications, a.k.a. JBC, together in 2014. So each episode, we invite co-founders to share their stories about building something new from the ground up.
1: Today, we're truly honored to welcome Vanessa and Kim Pham, first-generation Vietnamese-American sisters who launched their food brand, OMSAM, which offers high-quality, taste-tested Asian meal starter kits last spring. As the daughters of Vietnamese refugees, Vanessa and Kim grew up at their family's kitchen counter where food was a love language and later became a way to re-engage with their identities
0: as women of color. With past lives and startups and consulting, Vanessa and Kim eventually came together to build a company of their dreams to execute one mission, to give Asian Americans a modern way to access a real deal taste of home and to show non Asian Americans what it means for the category to be done right. Since launching, Amsam has sold out twice the first within 72 hours and again in June. Welcome, guys. Amazing. Thanks for having Hello. us. We're so glad you're here. I have a really quick fun fact that um my name was almost Vanessa when I was born. Oh my god. But my I don't know what like yeah that was originally gonna be my name. Um but it's obviously Melissa but I always have like a special place <laughs> for people when I meet them whose name is Vanessa. That's like, so oh, funny. <laughs>
1: uh,
0: but anywho, <laughs> um it's so nice to meet you guys and have you guys here. We're so pumped Thanks to you. Thanks for having us.
1: Melissa and I were fangirling a bit this morning. We were actually (laughs) texting each other and I'm like, I'm actually a little nervous for today. Like usually we do these podcast (laughs) recordings like a lot lately. And we've talked to some of, in my opinion, the most amazing kind of co-founders and um, some really remarkable people. But I think on a personal level, we've both been following your business since launch and really in awe of what you guys have done from branding to PR to just using it you know, as a greater vehicle to tell stories. And Mm -hmm. so we were really excited. You said yes. And we're really just thrilled to kind of talk to you and hear more about how this all happened. Um, Obviously, we don't need to know how you guys met, (laughs) Um, but tell us a little bit about, you know, how this came into play and what you were doing prior and, and the kind of origin story of your brand.
2: First off, thank you so much for like the kindest introduction ever. We're like the most chill. <laughs> so hopefully, like, It's, it's going to be super chill. Um, but yeah, basically, um, Vanessa and our sisters, we grew up in Boston in a town that was actually 98% white as um, first gen Vietnamese Americans and daughters of refugees. And we kind of growing up didn't really feel super seen by this kind of quote unquote ethnic aisle. You can't see me, but I'm doing air quotes. Um, and it really, I mean, you've probably been to one recently, maybe you have, but it's, it's kind of this like old school, like really antiquated aisle in the back of the store. It's this hodgepodge of all these different BIPOC cuisines. And it's just a lot of those products in there are really kind of outdated and diluted in flavor. And we're just like, Dan, that's like, it's not it. And on top of that, one, this is just like not reflective of the changing DNA of this country. But secondly, you know, it doesn't really honor and celebrate the communities from which they come from. And so we were like, what if we kind of tried to do this category the right way? And so that, that mission of really, in particular with Asian flavors, of reclaiming and celebrating the multitudes that exist within these cuisines and these cultures was really the North Star um, with which Vanessa and I like, kind of quit our jobs and started working on Amsam. We had no idea it was going to look like starters. We had no idea you know, kind of how it would all kind of play out, but it was really just us wanting to almost like right a wrong that we had been seeing all of our lives. Um, and it just felt like the national dialogue was kind of catching up to that kind of desire that's been really instilled in us from an early age. And so, yeah, that was really the the driving force.
0: I mean, that really resonates with me. Um, m- not necessarily in the grocery store only because I'm not like, I love cooking, but not super adventurous um that's my husband's world like he his love language is food like he cooks dinner every night and my mom's like you can't ever divorce him because for <laughs> like literally that exact yes. reason but for me it was um the hair care aisle mm. in the in the you know whatever right at CVS. and you know when i was younger i don't do it anymore but i used to relax my hair no. and i'd go to the aisle. And it'd be like, yeah, the back of the store. But I also would feel like everything on the shelf had been there for like a year. Like nothing what felt fresh. It was like dusty. And I imagine you probably felt a lot of the same thing too going into those aisles. And like it doesn't feel like there was any intention other than checking a box. So I, I mean, I completely get that for sure. Where, where we really kind of came from was wanting to build a brand with cultural integrity
3: and I think that's what we felt was sorely lacking in, in these products. So we saw tons of stereotypical branding like pagodas and pandas and dragons. And when you actually use the products, we found the flavors were incredibly diluted and, and bastardized and we were like, this has nothing to do with you know the, our culture as Vietnamese Americans or other Asian cultures that we've ex- like had a chance to experience. And so that's really where we came from is really wanting to do right by the communities that are represented.
0: So where were you guys professionally when this like aha moment happened and what was the moment where you're like, I'm going to quit my, we're going to quit our jobs and do this together. Kind of like a funny story. So, um,
2: I have always wanted to start a business with Vanessa, like literally since the dawn of time. Um, I was like, she's my dream co-founder. This Are is you it. older? I am. I am by 20, 22 months, I think. Yeah. 22 months. And growing up was always like the weirdo, risk taker, like writer, creative. And Vanessa was definitely like the super smart, left brain, really strategic um, of the two of us. And so in my head, I, I've been working in startups my whole life. I was like, I want to start a business one day and she's going to be my co-founder. But it felt like I had to kind of like convince her a little bit over time. Did she know that? <laughs> I, don't, I, I did not did, know that. Right,
3: no, I, I did not. I did not know that. I mean, all like... I think that, you know, I, I mean, for a, for a while when I was a teenager, I thought Kim thought I was like, not cool at all. And you know, you know how sisters can be. So I was like, she wants nothing to do with me from <laughs> ages like 13 to 17. Um, but I think like, more broadly, I, I mean, I was just so risk averse. I never even considered like starting a company myself. Like I was very much more of that kind of like stereotypical child of immigrants that um, wants to do right by her parents for, you know, all the sacrifices they made. And, and how I translated that in my head was making the assumption that they wanted me to attach myself to big brand names. And that's why, you know, I, I went to Harvard. I worked at Bain for a couple of years. I was I was really just trying to de-risk myself in every way, shape and form. Um, and then two years into my time at Bain, you know, I had learned a lot, but I I was getting to a point where I was just, it was like day in and day out, right. Just like going, going to work, putting my energy and all my time towards something that was not getting me closer to ultimately what I cared about, which was creating a platform to share perspectives and ideas as a daughter of Vietnamese refugees. I thought that was a perspective that needed to be shared. And Kim was already going out there creating her own platform. Like she was like speaking at conferences around the world literally and she was um Forbes 3030 at age 24 and I was just like, dang it, like I worked so Ugh. hard to get into this college and, and now I'm a Bane and like nobody gives a shit about what I have to say. <laughs> <laughs> and I was just so I was like really amazed at what she was doing. And I think I um. Finally, kind of had had enough, and was like, you know, what if I stay on this track, I might have to sacrifice my own values to continue to climb this ladder to get mm-hmm. that platform. Like, I'm not willing to risk that. I don't want to have to make sacrifices in terms of my values. And so, that's when I finally reached out to Kim, and and we went on a trip together, which was our like soul searching sister trip in yeah. Bolivia. And when we talked about it, she was literally like, I've been waiting for this day. Literally waiting
2: (laughs) my whole life. Yeah. (laughs) Vanessa, so around that time, Vanessa was having her kind of like moment and realization with Bain. I had left, I was working in venture capital for a couple of years, basically again, for me to like better understand what it takes to build a startup and be a founder. And then I was a digital nomad for a year. So I was traveling through Latin America Um, and literally kind of like, you know, taking some side consulting gigs, but really kind of finding myself in the, you know, in I think at the time where did, oh yeah, we met in Bolivia. <laughs> so on the salt flats of Bolivia, trying to find myself. Um, and so it was really kind of the most kind of serendipitous that Vanessa, like would we had planned, you know, for her to come join me um, on that trip. But then it was just like around that time, both her and I were kind of like looking for the next thing. And it just literally made sense to us that we would build something together, particularly in food, in Asian food and culture.
1: And how long ago was this? Like when was this trip?
2: 2018? Oh my
1: gosh. I think it 20 2018, 2018. Yeah. End of 2018. Okay. So not a long time ago. Yeah. Uh, so you guys moved pretty quickly.
2: Kind of. Yeah. I think we we once I got back from the trip, we then like were kind of working on OMSAM like really nights and weekends while we're like, is this a thing? Does this have legs? And then we didn't really kind of go full time with it until 2019.
0: When and how did you tell your parents you were doing this? That A, you were working together, which I'm sure they thought was so great, I would imagine. Or maybe I'm wrong in making the wrong assumption. Um, and that also you guys were going to launch a startup. And you quit your jobs. Yes. <laughs> All of the
3: above. Yes. Um, no, our parents have always been like just really supportive of AmSam. They, and and today, I mean, it's, they're like, they love sending us business ideas they're always texting us these amazing things which we share on instagram all the time because they're just so heartwarming but i think early on in our journey when we we actually didn't even outright like sit them down and tell them straight up we just kind of like floated I don't know. I think that might be a common thing amongst children of immigrants, where you kind of like are in denial about things for a while uh, because you don't know how people are going to react. So I we kind of like gently floated it and then wouldn't talk about it for a while. And so they knew something was happening, but they would just they didn't even really ask, but they just like kind of quietly supported. But I think there was a little bit of like confusion on their part. They were just like they're working on something we don't even know. Um, but I would say like I feel like once we actually like launched and had had you know products out in the world that's when they really were like oh my gosh you've been working on this um this is really what's been kind of happening behind the scenes they were they had just been quietly supportive uh for that whole time
0: (laughs) that's really sweet so i have a sister who i love and adore who's she's my best friend but I would never go into business <laughs> with her. And she knows that. I would say this to her face. So she won't be surprised when she hears this. But
1: um I mean, I love your sister and I wouldn't go into business with her either. So I mean, sorry, Maria.
0: She's special and so smart and so talented in so many different ways. We just we it just doesn't make sense. And that's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. Mm-hmm. But you guys obviously have found success in a part a business relationship, despite the fact that you guys are also family and sisters and your whole lives are intertwined. How does that work? And do you guys have boundaries? Do you have like (laughs) systems for communication? I don't know. Or is it just like so natural? It's nothing. Oh my gosh. It's so funny because whenever
2: people hear that we're sisters, it's either two reactions. It's one, oh my gosh, I love my sibling. I can't wait to start something with them. This inspires me. Or it's like, I could never, ever. There's never, like, an in-between. Yeah, there's no middle ground. <laughs> Which is really interesting. Um, yeah, I guess for us, it works. I think, you know, Vanessa mentioned this earlier, but, you know, growing up, you know, especially in the patriarchy, right, like, it often pits sisters, you know, femme folks against one another, especially if you're close in age. So I think in the beginning days of, like, high school, you're trying to find yourself, you're trying to differentiate, you're trying to be unique. Like, I think that was the source of a lot of that angsty as hell. <laughs> um, that was a, a, a source of a lot of our attention. Um, but then I think like as we went off to university and became adults, I think we started to see each other. not as like, oh, my sister, but oh, like this is a fully formed individual with, you know, her own set of ideas and values. And, and I think that was when we started to become really, really close. And so it really, it really works for us. It was a lot of work. I mean, people say all the time that like choosing a co-founder is like finding a partner for life. And I think in some ways we like cheated because we are going to be sisters for life, no matter what, but I do think it comes with it, you know, with our, with our partnership, a very unique set of baggage and a unique set of like tension. Um, And so it took a lot of work in the early days. It's still work now Um, conscious, intentional effort that her and I put in um, to being hyper communicative, try and remove ego from the room um just be really honest and and try and call each other out when we're you know projecting or when you know we get into patterns of behavior that are hurtful to one another it's it's a lot
1: a lot of work it's a lot of work but i'm really glad it's her do you have personal professional boundaries like how do you like in a given day if you're going to go to dinner together do you say okay let's just talk about bullshit? Like, let's have like a personal no work conversation tonight. Or does it just kind of flow naturally into each other? Hmm. That's a great question. I think question. we should probably do more of that.
3: <laughs> like what you said about being intentional. I think it's it's definitely hard. We, we do kind of just show up and float in and out. I think it definitely helps when like a third person is there who's not a part of the business because then we just automatically, so right. it's like my partner's there, or your partner's there, you know what I mean? Or friend who doesn't want to hear about on some is there. It just like, we automatically switch. But when it's just the two of us, we go in and out but we like to do a lot of activities together. We, we go, we we get super nerdy for the same things. So I feel like what yeah. we like, you know, like we'll just go to the, I mean, this sounds like it's related to work, but this is not, we just go to the grocery store like H Mart and we can just geek out in there like unrelated. It's not even, we don't associate it with arms We're just like having fun. Um, or like we can go to flushing and just like, you know, go eat at a bunch of places. Like that's our vibe. So I don't know. I think we, we have some balance here, but I think we could probably be more intentional about it. Intentionality is like, I feel like the key to all of this, like Mm -hmm. you can't just, you, you can't show passively in this, in this relationship. You really have to be thoughtful and vulnerable.
1: in any, you know, relationship kind of where there are stakes. Absolutely. um, Do you guys just text and chat all day long or have you kind of fallen into like a communication cadence where, Mm -hmm you check in at certain times. I mean, I'll, for reference, Melissa and I have no boundaries whatsoever when it comes to communication. I am on the West coast. She's on the East coast. I wake up at 6 AM to like five texts from her. She goes to (laughs) sleep, you know, three phone calls from me. So we have yet to kind of figure out how to not communicate. So kind of
0: constantly and, um, Psychotically, um, which but I wondering argue if like it just works for us because like it doesn't give me any anxiety. I think I give her anxiety more than anything. You so give me so much anxiety. She probably needs some boundary from me. But um, my for me, work and my life are so intertwined that I'm totally cool with it. But it's not that, that it's not okay for everyone. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, that's that's kind of our system right now, which probably needs to be so,
2: like we don't really have formal check ins. I think we're really kind of like we Slack and WhatsApp each other like really like ad hoc and its worked so far or and I think we've been getting better about drawing boundaries of like hey you know Vanessa will be like I'm out with Hendrick for dinner and you know then it's like okay it's really clear that you know there's time and or it's like hey no no reply needed um but again something we could probably be more intentional about but honestly no complaints on my side maybe Vanessa <laughs> I'm definitely like the slacker who just like the slack dasher who will just like fire off things on slack without even thinking so yeah maybe maybe Vanessa <laughs> That's has Melissa, other
3: thoughts yeah <laughs> <laughs> no I, I I'm pretty yeah we're pretty casual about it and like I don't know a lot of the time it's like funny stuff like we send each other we like yeah. talk shit we, you know it's not just like hey did you do xyz a lot of it might be <laughs> tangentially related to work but it's like it's fun and funny I don't know I think Kim's really funny so <laughs> yeah
1: Melissa thinks I'm really funny too,
0: so it's <laughs> it helps definitely helps hilarious yeah. So where are you guys based, actually? Are you guys – because I can – it looks like you guys are in different places. So which – does distance give you more Although we have talked too? to
1: co-founders who are in the same house but in different rooms, so we don't really know. Oh, and then some who are literally really on top is. of each other, so it <laughs> oh, yeah. really
0: depends.
2: Yeah, we had to explicitly draw boundaries there of, like, we are best friends, we are sisters, we are co-founders, we can't be roommates. So I live in East Williamsburg in Brooklyn and Vanessa is in the West village, but actually she's currently in Costa Rica for the month. So we're
1: even more distant.
2: Oh, so jealous. <laughs> Wait,
1: and you're still doing our podcast.
0: <gasps> oh, I'm working, I'm, remotely. I'm
3: working full days here.
0: So no worries. It's That's fun. so nice. So remind me when you guys actually launched to market. We launched in May of last year. So, okay. So may of last year. So you, you've, Launched during one of the craziest times ever um, yep. that any industry any person per has experienced. Do you feel like, and I would imagine so, that your re- that your relationship probably made it so that you'd be successful through this. But have were there any moments that were like? super challenging that you feel like your partnership is exactly what got it through it, or super challenging and you feel like there was something in your partnership that didn't make it better. I'm just curious, like, I think a lot of folks are like wanting to learn from people who they deem successful, right? They're looking at this brand as an explosive new company and has so much growth and so much buzz. And I think this is a great opportunity for them to learn too, if there's something that you guys uncovered that Mm. kind of brought you out stronger or smarter or whatever the takeaway is.
2: Hmm, that's a, that's a great question. Um, I'm sure Vanessa has some learnings, but I guess for me on so kind of TLDR, Vanessa owns all things like product strategy, finance, performance, and I own all things kind of like brand community, um, and creative. So we probably have different, different learnings. But I think on the community and like just brand side, Obviously, launching the pandemic was brutal for for many many reasons, especially as first time founders, especially women of color. Um, and we got a lot of kind of, you know, differing advice. Actually, most folks did not want us to launch, but that's probably another story for another day. But I think part of why we were able to cut through the noise so quickly right off the gate is because we were really clear we have been really clear on who AmSam is first and foremost for. So like we as a brand are absolutely centered on this Asian American audience, particularly first and gen, second gen folks like myself and Vanessa. And actually we got a lot of feedback in the beginning where it was like, Hey, don't you think that's niche? Or, Hey, do you think that's exclusionary? Hey, do you, think you know, is that a smart business idea to kind of limit yourself quote unquote? And I think for us, it was like one this is our heart and our soul. We are proudly and loudly Vietnamese women. Like, you know, that's that's a non-negotiable. And so to not honor that is not to authentic to it, us like, as individuals, mm-hmm. right? And then secondly, we actually believe it to be the right business choice for our company because I think as a brand, especially a consumer brand, if you try and be for everyone, you end up being for no one. So it was this mm-hmm. kind of like, staunch dedication to who we are, who we exist first and foremost for, not that we're exclusionary, right? I I think it's like, hey, this is first and foremost for Asian Americans. But like, if you're not Asian, and you're down to ride with us and listen to our stories and see all of us in ways that aren't stereotypical or diluted or flattened, like then we ride, like we, we ride together and like, you're down, you know, in our community. But I think it was first and foremost, knowing our audience and like speaking directly to them. And like, you can see it in everything that we do from our design to our voice and tone to our customer service. Like it's very intentionally Asian American. Um, And I think that was a big, big piece of what helped cut through the noise. And especially during the pandemic, I think one, a lot of folks um, were looking for flavors that remind them of home. Like I know, like I I was in East Williamsburg, there's a ton of Asian supermarkets out here. Um, and, you know, this was around the time when people were wiping down Amazon packages, right? Like no one was leaving their house. And so I think that was, that was kind of a big piece of it. But also we had so many, like our ride or dies, our Asian Americans who write us like the most heartfelt, heart forward stuff of like, I feel seen by your brand or like, you know, a lot of the kind of anti-Asian sentiment early on in the pandemic was really hard for folks. So to see a brand be so unapologetically and loudly Asian was like really special to them. And I think like that is so profound for me as an individual. I'm so fucking lucky to do, like to get to build something that helps people or resonates with people in that way. But also I think from a business standpoint was like, it gave people something, people could understand who we are and what we're trying to the world that we want to achieve. And so that was like, yeah, a really interesting learning for us. And I'm really, really just like so grateful for that lesson.
0: I think that's really important. I think the most people ask us all the time is like, what's the recipe for, and no pun intended, but what's the recipe for Mm -hmm. a a successful brand? And we always, always say is be authentic because you can see right through it. And um, the media will see right through it. The consumer will see right through it. Um, Your story has to be right and it has to feel, you know, like it's coming from a real place. You can't manufacture it. So um, you guys obviously have that in spades. So um, that's amazing. So I guess um, now that hopefully we're going into some kind of new normal and we can think (laughs) about what does the future look like for CPG business, just startups in general, like what's What is your vision for AmSam to be and to grow into? You know, from the earliest days where
3: we were having those experiences going into the mainstream grocery store, seeing this shelf of, you know, sad products. From that day, we kind of knew there was just this huge opportunity to build something that would be like a a true household name um, like a true Asian food brand, that's a household name. And that's really the kind of prevalence that we see on some having. So, you know, not just the Asian food brand that happens to sit on the shelf of natural grocers on the coast, right? Like that's not the brand that we're trying to build. We really want on some to be, um, in homes across the country, um, in pantries of people of all ages and backgrounds, um, because we believe that's really the type of, um, prevalence and love there is for Asian flavors.
0: I think there's a huge opportunity there too. I think you guys are absolutely right. I, cause I, again, I'm not the chef here. It's my husband and our whole spice cabinet is all his. And I was reorganizing it and you know, he has a fish sauce and a, this sauce and a that, and nothing is brand like any one brand, right? He's just buying what he thinks is hopefully quality ingredients run out, but there's no one owning this from a, you know, he's someone who cares about quality ingredients, about a brand, about associating himself with it as, you know, an amateur chef. And I think the opportunity for you guys is so wide when, um, no one's really paying attention, which is a great thing. I think to your point, it's kind of a, an overlooked category. So, um, I'm really excited about what you guys are doing and, and what you guys have coming up. So hopefully some fun stuff soon, I imagine. Yeah, tons, tons in the, tons in the pipeline, which which is why we're always so busy. (laughs) How
2: big is your team? So we are four, soon to be five full time.
1: Oh my God, you guys, (laughs) that's so impressive. (laughs) Oh, thank you. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I mean, we gotta, we gotta probably grow it a little bit because all of us are like definitely over, overworked a little bit. So yeah. But (laughs) that's my favorite thing though, is that from an you know, we're in PR and it's all about image, right? And, and we look at a brand like this and we see, as Melissa said, like, it's an explosive brand. That's the perfect way to describe it. Um, And, and anyone who's maybe not in this like kind of startup world will take a look at it and be like, this must be a hundred person brand, like between the branding and the PR and the marketing and all this stuff. Like, There must be, it must be like a well-oiled machine, you know, and (laughs) obviously like on our day to day, we deal with startups all the time and we're like, okay, this brand has like three people or eight people. But I just think it's so impressive when you have a core, really tight team and everyone is just kind of busting their ass and wearing a bunch of different hats and, and making it work. I mean, I think that's what makes these brands, you know, thrive is I do feel you can kind of get that passion from the product. I think sometimes like we've seen it firsthand as our startups grow and they scale, sometimes they lose sight of that. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you'll see online like, you know, they're hiring a chief of staff and a chief of this and all this stuff. And it's like they go from being four people to like 40 overnight. And then all of a sudden you're like, what? happened to as Melissa said like the authenticity of the brand you know Mm -hmm. so it's a tricky thing scaling and growing but it's super impressive to hear that there's only four people that are making this happen Melissa and I to this day are like we miss the days when it was just the two of us because that was like the most fun we've (laughs) ever had
2: yeah our team is like super super tight knit um and everyone is like a star we're really really lucky I think the big piece for us is that obviously everyone's a badass, everyone's super skilled, all of that. But I think it's really all everyone aligning around this mission. Like everyone deeply, deeply rides for the mission. And I think that we hopefully you can feel that like from an end consumer standpoint where it's like, you know, Emily, who writes our marketing copy, you know, like wh- that feels kind of consistent um, with like kind of what maybe Joyce does on Instagram captions and like how Vanessa and Kevin approach Um, kind of like sourcing and R&D, like it it all kind of fits together because we have this like, we deeply care about cultural integrity as individuals. Mm -hmm. And so to kind of wrap kind of a company around it feels really like natural and authentic to what you were saying before. So we're really, yeah, we're really lucky. We love, we love, love, love our team.
3: (laughs) I feel like that's been a huge part of our hiring process too, even though we've only hired a couple of people at this point, Um, I feel as though our hiring process probably feels really different than a lot of other brands because so much of it is just centered around really understanding like what, you know, what really moves you, what, what do you, what are your personal passions and what changes do you want want to see in the world? Like we, you know, we ask questions like, um, what is something that you really used to believe that you no longer believe? Or, um, what is a cause that you deeply care about and how do you show up for it? And those are questions that we weight really heavily and and we've made decisions, you know, where there's like great candidates, but, and maybe they're very similar, but ultimately we felt like one was a lot more mission aligned and ultimately went with that candidate, for example. So it's so important for us and Mm -hmm. it's something that we're like protecting at all costs with our team.
1: Yeah. yeah. We don't hire people that don't like dogs. That's all right. <laughs> I'm like, if you are if you really hate animals, you're probably not gonna get along with me. Um I was curious, we don't really ask this, but because your sisters, what is the quality in each other that you kind of admire most?
2: Uh so Vanessa, there's many, many things I admire about Vanessa. It's so hard to pick just one. Um, but this is like I would probably say the main Piece that I've been able to see, like as a co-founder versus just like as a sister and as a friend. But she is like the most intentional person I've ever met in my life. And I know that word kind of gets thrown around a lot, but for for me, like how Vanessa embodies intentionality is that it goes beyond just being like detail oriented because I think that like those two words are often like parallel to one another, but they're not totally fully the same. It's not just being detail oriented, but thinking like a couple steps ahead in particular. particularly with a very human centric view. So like what I mean by that is like when we make decisions as a business, she's often thinking, okay, cool. Like what, how does it affect Amazon? But really like a couple steps further of like, okay, how, how, how does our community um, how would our community react to this? Or like, as we think about the vendors and the partners that we work with, you know, do they understand um, kind of the world that we see and how we're building it? She brought that same intentionality to building out our cap table, like 50% of our cap table are either BIPOC or women. And that was incredibly like all of Vanessa's incredible work. And she just has this like lens of intentionality that like she sees the whole world through. And it's really a delight because I think I come from the startup world where it's very much like progress over perfection of like, just keep moving, right? Like keep it going, just build. It doesn't have to be perfect, And I think when you're building a brand that that needs care, like you're talking about culture, you're talking about identity, you're talking about underrepresented and marginalized communities, like care and intentionality is everything. And I've really learned a lot of that. Like, take a step back. Like, what do we say when we say these things? What does it say about the world that we want to see? How do we vote not just with our voices, but with our dollars as a brand? Like, all Mm -hmm. of that, like, Mm -hmm. I got from her.
3: That's so funny that you say that because well first of all thank you, Kim. But I the reason it's funny is because the thing that I was like circling around was actually Kim's intuition. Um which I think is, is interesting because it's not like quite the foil to that. But I think that I think Kim is able to create all kinds of things that I view as truly like magic. Like I think they're magic because I don't understand how they came to be or how she came up with them. Um, and because because she's so in touch with her intuition, she's able to create things that, whereas other people take like the finite parts and put together a whole, she creates like a lot more than just that one whole because she pulls from things that are in her intuition and her emotion. And I think that that's what enables her to do a lot of different things that I admire. So for example, like putting together words, ideas, sentiments, um, thoughts that deeply resonate with people that are completely original that comes from a very intuitive place for her which is you know her showing up in the world consuming information consuming other perspectives forming her own opinions in a very like intuitive way and then bringing that out into the world and sharing it in a way that really emotionally resonates with people um it's you know another example where she's really intuitive is, is with human is like person um per- person person relationships like she um, like a lot of the times I'm trying to like capture information and data and like make sense of it. So I'm like, Oh, this person did this, this person did that versus like, she's come in, she'll come in and kind of like step back from that and be like, Hey, I know like this person said that or whatever, but like, let's just like, you know, do you think he or she might be feeling this? And she's able to like really reframe things from an intuitive place. Um, that sometimes just like, I'll just like step back and be like, Whoa, I was like, so in the weeds trying to, use all the information I have at hand to make the best decision. And she's kind of like feeling what feels right. And that's like really important information that's very complex, but it just comes from a very different place. So I've always really admired that about Kim, how kind of in, in touch she is with that, that intuition and how she's then able to kind of create magic with that, um, that deep connection with her intuition.
1: Yeah, and that I will say is very hard to find. That's mm-hmm. not something you like learn in school or business school or something. Like I really do feel there's just certain people that have that like gut reaction to people and things that it is really necessary when you're launching a business. But that was really lovely. And I actually think if someone just listened to that part of the podcast, they would understand why you guys work. Yeah, like sisters <laughs> aside, background aside, mission aside. It's like almost like you guys just explain the two sides of running a business, you know, um, when you're complimenting each other without really
0: 100% knowing it. I love that. And your parents should be really proud of you guys and how, you know, well you work together. But um, I wanted to take it back quickly or to a kind of a different topic-ish, but um, I'm curious because you guys obviously are so deeply rooted into cultural identity in a community that's very vibrant. And, um, we've, again, never before seen an environment that has been so racially charged, um, first and for a very long time. And obviously close to me, the black community, but recently the Asian community has been, you know, brutalized, um, for lack of a better term, So for you guys as a brand so deeply rooted in the connection to your own race and your identity, what do you feel like – or do you feel like you have such a higher pressure or responsibility to be vocal or do something? Because this is a question we've been asked for the past 12 months is – from our brands. Do we say something? What do we say? How do we say it? Um, Which I I appreciate the question, first of all, that they even care enough to ask, um, because there are a lot of brands who don't. Um, But then when you're put in this other position of a brand like AmSam, where you are looked to in a certain way, like, I'm curious if you guys feel a certain pressure, and then how do you deal with it? And how do you kind of resolve it in your own heads one way or another? It's a really loaded question. Sorry. (laughs) It's a really,
2: really important one. So I I will just like first off say like we don't like identify as like a quote unquote activist brand. Like that's, you know, like for us, social justice is the lens through which we see the world, not the platform on which we build our brand. I think that's a really, really important distinction. I think a lot of people Uh are like, okay, for me to build an Instagram following, I got to care about these things. I think that's for me, frankly, a very backwards way of, looking at humanity and human rights for me, honestly. Um, But the reason AmSam is the way that that it is, is because of us as founders, like nothing is manufactured. Like everything that you see are real conversations that we've had as sisters, as founders, or even internally as a team. Um, Like we deeply believe that the reclamation and that, that word is very intentional as well. Like the reclaiming, the taking back of Asian voices and Asian stories, like that is our North star and And that pulls itself through our company in many ways. So for example, once a month, we have what we call like this Asian American jam where everyone on my team from the founders to the interns literally get together for an hour. There's no desired output. No one has to be productive. It's literally just like what's on your mind as an Asian American. Our team right now is is all Asian American, various kind of generations and um, immigration patterns. And it's just... Like, I'm not there taking notes of like, what can we talk about on Instagram next week? It's literally just like what's sitting on your heart. Um, And especially with a lot, you know, that's been happening, I find that it's just been a really profound place for us to all kind of surface things that we've been feeling, things that have been weighing on us as individuals. And like, you know, that's another way that I believe that our kind of our Asian American identity shows up in how we build this business. But yeah, in terms of like how it how it looks externally. It's all things that we care about as individuals. Like we're, I I wish there was like a playbook that I could give folks, you know what I mean? But, but there's not, it's just, it comes from a place that I think is authentic to us. And so I think for my recommendation is like, what do you ride or die for as a, as a founder or as a team and like bring that to the conversation. I think when you try from a place of inauthenticity People can tell consumers are fucking smart, especially on social Mm -hmm. media nowadays, where people are getting quickly educated through Instagram and on TikTok. Like people can smell bullshit a mile away, and they're not afraid to call it out. As they should. And to be honest, there have been times where Omstead has 100% slipped up, where we were we were ableist in our language, or we weren't fully inclusive to the Southeast Asian community. And our community keeps us hella accountable, and I'm honestly grateful for it because it means that as a brand, we've built a space where people feel comfortable to be like, hey. I'm Laotian. And what you just said right there doesn't like is exclusionary to the Laotian community. And I'm like, damn, you're right. Like, we can never be perfect. We will never, ever try and say that we are representative of Asian America. That's not ever been our motto. All we do as a brand and as founders is show up, be true to ourselves, be true about the things that we care about, obviously put as much resources and research as possible into making sure that anything that we do put out about a community is as you know, uh, accurate and representative of many inputs as possible, but it, it just comes from a really, I think like organic place. And that's all I could ever ask for brands who are thinking about kind of touching social justice is like, does, is this organic to you? Have you talked about this before? Is this something that you're ready to continue talking about? Um, yeah, that's, that's what I'll have to say about
1: that. <laughs> I mean, honestly, I, that was such a good answer. I mean, I feel like I want to share that with all of our clients and the people that ask us those questions, Melissa, because I feel like she summed it up better than (laughs) we have in the past. Thank you. Thank you so much. And I, and I totally, I I get it.
2: Right. Like I get it. Like it's hard to be a consumer brand without
1: caring about these things. I understand it
2: oftentimes comes from a, a place of really well intention of like you know but for example like you know we speak a lot about asian-american identity and um like during kind of all the blm protests last summer we also spoke out about that and a lot of people were like hey does that make sense and i was like of course like asian liberation is tied to black liberation is tied to all bipoc liberation and as a brand even though we're asian-american and in focus it's it's really important for us to talk about you know continue this thread of what we've been talking about for a long time which is reclamation and celebration of the multitudes within these communities and these identities. Um, but, you know, for different brands, that could be sustainability. For different brands, that could be right. about fast fashion. Like there's yep. there's so many different kind of angles. So pick what feels organic to you and commit to it. Like commit resources, real, real resources.
1: Yeah. I was going to say, just know, know what you're talking about. Don't just like cut and paste from an Instagram influencer, like a cute quote, you know? Yeah. Have the knowledge to back it up. And that's why I think... You know, we're pretty, as a PR agency, people think we're annoyingly outspoken. At times, we were very kind of outspoken about voting rights and the election and how we felt about it. And we've been very um, vocal about the fact that, you know, we thought Trump was a fascist and all those things. Um, And we've gotten, you know, blowback at times. We've certainly had potential clients say, like, you're a PR agency, you're supposed to be behind the curtain, kind of you know, pulling the strings and it's not your responsibility to kind of be out there like that. And Melissa and I are like, well, you're not the right client for us then. Because at the end of the day, we as an agency do have a platform too. And I do feel it's our responsibility. If Melissa and I and our team are really passionate about something, then why shouldn't we use our platform to to say it? Um, I just have always said, let's make sure we know what we're saying. Yeah, like, I want to make sure that if I am in a room with someone and they say, I saw that post you did about you know, I I don't know, like voting in Atlanta or something, I can have a conversation about it. I know what the hell I'm talking about. Um, Because otherwise, as you said, like, we will be called out. And I think rightfully so.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Great to keep
1: brands accountable, which I'm glad. I'm really, really glad. And I think another piece of that
2: is that show the receipts. I would say that's something else of like, when you say like you have a stance, show the receipts, keep going. So like, you know, the other day we do this uh, Instagram series called Real Talk where we kind of just show like a peek behind the curtain what's going on. And we show to our community that like, you know, we deeply care about the redistribution of wealth in this country. And so that's why our cap table looks the way it looks, but also like how we spend money as a brand. We spend over 95% of our creative dollars with Asian talent, creatives, designers, photographers. And we literally, I'm like, here's all the photos of us working with these folks. Here's how we intentionally choose to, again, what's another kind of input into this, reclamation and create, um, celebration of, of Asian stories. And so, yeah, just be, be ready to show receipts.
0: Absolutely. it's so funny that you say that. Cause I was just, um, I'm, I'm talking with Digiday about the future of commerce. Um, for their conference coming up. And they're like, the biggest question we're getting from brands that they want you to answer is like when dealing with sensitive topics like this, or when you're having, or social justice or having a stance on anything, sustainability, it literally could be anything. What are like the three tips? And I'm like, you're going to laugh because it's literally the same thing you probably teach your kids is one, be honest and transparent Two, it's, come up with some sort of solution or some kind of plan of action. And then the last thing is then follow through. That's literally it. And if every brand lived by those three, like very fundamental guiding lights or principles, we'd have so many other brands on the right side of things. And it's exactly what you just said about showing receipts and following through because we can all say whatever we want to say, but if you don't, then close the loop there and say, actually, by the way, that thing we said six months ago that we were launching and that we were doing, we have done it. And now here's the next thing we're doing. So, um, yeah, it's, it seems so simple. It's like you posting on Instagram to go vote, but then you don't give your employees election day
1: off or, you know, saying that you support women's rights and stuff, but not having Matt leave, you know, it's <laughs> just like back it up and listen, we run a small company too. Like, you know, we haven't always been profitable and it's been hard. And we haven't been able to, I think, do all the things we are able to do now in the first few years, but at least have a plan of action to get there, you know. So I agree, and Melissa. I think those three points are really great, and I didn't know you were doing anything for Digiday, so that's exciting. We too. have a good team; they know what they're doing. Um, I
0: just, I had no idea. <laughs> it's like in a month. Relax.
1: <laughs> Can you guys just remind everyone what your website is and your Instagram handle, just if people want to learn more and I and go I know that and buy. I just yeah, spent we're, a
0: bunch of money there. We've been sampling <laughs> the
1: whole time. But like I like support this brand. It's a great brand to support. And um yeah, like I I love it for gifting too. I mm-hmm. don't know if I'm the only one, but gift it's a great fun gift for someone who likes to cook and likes to have fun in the kitchen. So, so our website is
3: omsom.com. So o-m-s-o-m.com. And then you can find us on Instagram at Omsom. And we're actually on TikTok now. Um, Kim and the team have been doing such a great job. We, they literally just got on like a couple weeks ago. And we have like two videos that's over 280,000 views. Like, I don't know how, but they did it. Um, oh, my God. Yeah. So you can find us there at We Are OmSom.
1: At the end of our podcast, we do this little thing. I don't even know what it's called. Just wrap up
0: questions. It's like an
1: audience Q&A. Basically, like people write in and they have questions for co-founders. So Melissa and I will each ask a question. If you could start all over again, what's the one thing you would do differently?
2: Personal to me as a co-founder,
1: but I kind of wish
2: that I reckoned with my ego earlier than I did. I think it took a long time. I was like, oh my, I took everything that I said was wrong, like really deeply. I got mad at Vanessa for like, you know, suggesting alternate that were honestly better ways to do things. But I think my ego really prevented me from like hearing her, hearing feedback from our you know community. Um, I was just so sure that I was right. And I kind of wish I like got over that earlier than I did. I'm thankfully now in a really, really good place, but it took Vanessa continually calling me out of like, hey, get your ego out the room. Like we just have to listen to our community You know, intuition is important, but we have to back that up with with data and and with like real feedback. And so, yeah, I just wish I kind of reckoned with that earlier than I did.
3: There's nothing like learning from experience, you know. So that is real. But I guess similarly, I guess this is a little bit more personal. But I feel as though I like I let my scarcity. I mean, I still am working through my own like scarcity mindset, and I think like one area where that like continues to. a place that I wish I kind of worked through earlier is like, as it relates to kind of like money scarcity, I think it's, it's really hard to like really dream big for a company, invest in, in, in yourself when at the same time you're worried about, you know, like paying bills or paying rent. And I think like, Mm -hmm. I, I don't fault us for it or myself for it as like, as a daughter of refugees, I just don't, we just don't have access to generational wealth, but I do think like that's something that, um, yeah, I kind of found, wish I found a way kind of to work past that and and move through that, or at least understand like how that's different in your personal life versus with your company.
0: Yeah. Well, that makes a lot of sense. Um, my question is, um, I'm actually pulling my own last question. So sorry, audience. Um, I am curious as young co-founder or young founders is your first company. What do you do at the end of the day just to unwind and kind of end your day? Like, do you guys have any rituals? Because I think it's really important for balance. And I'm curious what you guys do to kind of just reset if you do. And if you don't, that's okay.
2: There's no kind of like explicit ritual for me. I think as a, as a team, we've actually got a lot better about like ending our days and being kind of like, all right, I'm off slack. Um, I think it's probably just literally like cooking a meal kind of helps me stay away from like brain and screen and literally just like chopping, like when am I with these ingredients that has mm-hmm. really helped me kind of like step away. And I generally know like once I cook dinner, it's I'm, I'm really rarely getting back online unless there's something super urgent. Good
0: for you. Good for you.
3: For me, there's like a, a bunch of different things that I do that are kind of, um I would say like pulled from like the healer community. So I have friends that are like really amazing wellness practitioners that have um, kind of slowly brought me into their fold a little bit and showed me a lot of different things. So, um, I I journal often. Um, I have like y- chimes that they play in like yoga classes that sometimes I play, or I have like a like a meditation drum, like things like that that you know I never really had in my life until more recently. But I'm really finding a lot of joy and relaxation and kind of playing with um, playing with music or or putting aside time to reflect and write.
1: What's your answer, Melissa? Are you going to stay playing with your kids?
0: No, no. That's part of my work <laughs> <Okay>. day, 100%. <laughs> your, yours is probably watching TV, um, like zoning it's out. Really, yeah, it's really sad. I think just my brain just moves so quickly from the minute I'm up to the end of the day that I really actually just need to shut off and stupid TV is the answer. That and I like my skincare routine. Like I'm, you know, relatively religious in that and it's just like a nice – the the scents you know it's just the warm water all of it's just like really nice but um but yeah sadly it's tv too thanks for
1: letting us fangirl for an hour and telling us about what you guys have done and we are as we said big fans and um love talking to badass women so thank you for coming on the podcast thanks for having us yeah thanks
0: so much this was fun